Welcome to episode 5 of the Collect a Hobby podcast. Today's topics include, should you buy TCG when they just come out or should you wait? What impact do reprints have on collectibles? And finally, sections of video games that we hate. So stay tuned. You collect video games and you collect trading card games. Welcome to your new home and welcome to one of the most unique podcasts ever. This is the Collect-A-Hobby Podcast. We've been collecting for years, and we're up to date on all the latest trends in the hobby. Our website, collectahobby.com, is a social network for collectors, made by collectors, made by collectors, for collectors. Welcome to your new family. This is the Collect-A-Hobby Podcast, and now, your expert hosts... Hector and Rich. Let's get this party started. What? what? Sounds fun. Wear your helmets. So let's talk about trading cards and more specifically when you should buy them. A new set comes out and everyone's rushing to buy it. Do you buy it immediately or do you wait for the price to drop or do you hopefully buy it before the price goes up further? Hector, what do you think about that one? I think that's a tough one. You know, I know some people that are just so anxious and they want to get the card now, but ultimately it is always best to wait for prices to go down. But you are also taking a chance that the prices might jump right back up. Something I have been doing as of late, though, has been purchasing cards from Japan. And I know it's kind of weird. Everyone's like, well, you're going to do Japan as soon as it releases. Isn't that the same as the US version when it comes out and it's just released, it's gonna be pricey. Not necessarily, right? Because I've been getting these cards a lot cheaper in Japan as soon as they come out. I'll give you a good example. Uh, cards from Lost Origins, right now, I got cards from Lost Abyss and the prices shot up recently. The reason why I think prices are shooting up for Japanese sets, it seems like the trend is. The cards that come out in Japan are not super expensive. Some of them are, but for the most part, they're not. And then it comes out in the U.S. and they get overhyped and the prices shoot up like crazy. The fact that people see how expensive it is for the U.S., eventually they go back to the Japanese set. And by then, it raises the prices, right? Because everyone else is trying to get the same exact set from Japan now, and those prices are raising. So... I've been trying to get these sets as soon as they come out in Japan before it comes in to the U.S. So what about you, Rich? Like, what do you think about this? Do you think it's best to wait or what do you feel about this? So me personally, with new cards, I'll buy like maybe a booster box. But after the initial booster box, I usually wait a couple months after the release because that's usually when it kind of settles because the prices will go up, they'll go down. Let's look at Lost Abyss for Pokemon recently. Everyone was buying them. Things were going fine. Then some YouTubers did some box openings and they revealed how hard some of these cards actually are to pull. I mean, we're talking about cases and they're not getting the main hits from the box. So obviously, after people saw that, the prices shot way up. I saw a lot of people buying the Aerodactyl V, for example, for $60, $80. Now it's a $200 card. It'll probably come down. I like to personally wait three or four months for the next set, the next new thing. People have kind of forgotten about it. The dust kind of settled. So that's kind of my strategy. If the card is cheap enough, like I'd say under 
$30, then I'll pick it up. What do you, th you think that's a good idea? Or... The thing is, first of all, I don't open packs or booster boxes or anything. I um, really just keep them sealed. But let's just say I'm going to buy a specific card. I'll give you an example of the Lost Abyss, okay? This is a Japanese set. I saw the main hit, right? The one that everyone's going crazy for, Lost Origins. I forgot, which one is it? The, the Garatina or the... Yeah, Garatina. Yeah, yeah, the Garatina card, okay? I saw it and I was like, wow, this actually looks pretty cool. I'm thinking about buying this. This is right before it actually was released in Japan. So this is the time period where some people are already posting that they have it right So I'm assuming these were stores or people that get the sets early. They already were posting on eBay. And I saw the price. I'm like, man, like $120. I don't know if I'm going to get it. Then later I heard everyone's like, oh, this card's amazing and everything. I'm like, you know what? Let me go back and buy the Japanese version. I go back and the Japanese version already shot up to $250. Okay. And it was still rising, right? I missed my opportunity right there to get that card. It's just crazy because that's the chance that you take. Sometimes you take that chance and you miss out. So it's kind of tricky to answer that question. Like, is it best to get the car as soon as they come out or not? Because sometimes if you wait, the price is just going to keep going up to the moon and it's never going to come back down. <laughs> so. I can totally agree with that. I think there's a happy medium with setting a budget. So let's take the Giratina V, for example. If you say my max for this card is 150 and you're not sure once it hits 150 you buy it and if it goes down well then you have to eat that but if it goes up well then you made a good decision but if the card's low enough maybe you should just purchase it just so get it out of the way but a lot of these cards are now getting harder and harder to pull as time goes on who knows where they're going to end up but you just got to think how much is being printed because the giratina v right now is expensive but in a year from now after they've reprinted the set maybe four times and there's all these in circulation and new cards come out are people going to want it i think there's so much that goes into it you can get yourself confused just trying to figure out when to buy because there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer it's pretty much all a gamble for lost origins though you have to assume right the next wave of Lost Origins or the third wave of Lost Origins, you're going to have to assume that more people are going to get hits, right? The price is going to have to come down at some point because right now the price isn't there because everyone loves the card. My point is it's a mixture of people loving the card and it's really hard to get any hits in the set. That's the combination at the moment, right? So once there's more people that can get the hit, the value is going to have to go down because the demand is going down, right? We're talking about Aerodactyl, right? I got that for such a cheap price. I believe it's under $30 in Japan. The Japanese card itself is over $60 now, right? It doubled in value during this time period because when it came out to US, their version, it's now priced at $100 or over $100. And I was shocked when that happened because I, I had this card for what, a good month and a half before anyone had the American version? Remember? Remember how long I had those cards? It's insane to me that the same exact art style and everything is just so much higher in value in the U.S. I just don't think, honestly, that Pokemon is that hard to get these cards for the value to be that high for modern cards. That's my honest opinion. I just think that Lost Origins is just one of those things that it happens because of the pull rate. If it wasn't for the pull rate, I think that these cards wouldn't be that high in value. Totally agree. I think that. 
Pokemon has, in the past couple of years, ever since 2020, I believe they've noticed the trend of people want to collect this now. I mean, yes, people play the game, but there are a lot of collectors and they're tired of pulling the best hit card and it's a $30 card. I mean, that's why a lot of people kind of don't really care for the old sun and moon because, you know, the biggest hit card in those packs might be $30, $40. So they're like, let's make these super beautiful art cards and have them be super hard to pull. That way, collectors, when they get something, they'll be like, wow, I really got something instead of, oh, I got the best hit from the box and it's 30 bucks. But going back to what you said before, have you ever seen a cartoon where you've got a group of people running to one place and then they see something somewhere else and then they all run over there and then they look back to the first place and they all run back? Yeah. I feel like that's exactly what's happening when Pokemon release a new set. Let me just kind of explain that. I know it sounds confusing, but so Pokemon releases in Japan, right? And everyone go and they buy it and everything's fine. When the English release comes out, and now there's all these people looking at it and they run to the other stand like in the cartoon and they go and they all go buy the English card. Now the English card is getting so expensive. They look back and they say, oh man, the Japanese card is only 30 bucks. And they all turn and they run back and buy that. And then that shoots the price up there. And then at the end of the day, you've got two super expensive cards because people are just trying to find the cheapest option. I know we've spoke offline a couple of times about uh, Thai cards. I know there's a couple of Thai card collectors out there who collect those cards because those are even cheaper than the Japanese ones, you know, and it's the same art, the same texture, same everything. It's just in a different language. I want to add this part too. Okay. When a new set comes out, I think ultimately it's better to just wait. I think that's something that everyone should do is just wait on it. And like you mentioned before, if you have a set price that you're willing to pay for something, if you actually like the artwork, once you hit that number, you buy it. Don't worry about if the value is going to go up or down, because if you really liked it to begin with, you're going to be happy with what you purchase. And right. I think that's the bottom line of it, because the next topic we're going to talk about is the exact reason why you don't rush out to go get it. And that is what happens if Pokemon comes out and just reprints. Well, you may have purchased something before and you're like, ah, oh, you're worried about the value of like the item itself, the actual card. You're like, oh, should I wait for the price to go down? Should I buy it while it's hot right now? And you're worried with all that information. And next thing you know, Pokemon reprints in the future. So that's why I think you should not worry about is the price too high or not? Should I wait? If you want it, buy it. Okay. But since we're on that topic, let's talk about reprints. What impact do reprints have on collectibles? Pokemon is the only company that really reprints sets. Okay. Magic has it sometimes. Pokemon reprints sets. We know that now. That's what they're doing right now as we speak. They keep reprinting sets that people thought they were done with. Evolving Skies, everyone's like, oh, they're done with that set. They're not going to go back to it. What do they do? They reprint it Evolving Skies. Now, all of a sudden, they're hinting at Champion's Path again. Uh, they did Shining Fates before. Like They did Hidden Fates. They reprinted Hidden Fates. Pokemon's the one that actually goes back and reprints sets, which is good for people that didn't get a chance to get it before it sucks for the people that are collectors right because you're collecting something thinking it's gonna be valuable and then all of a sudden it takes another hit when they reprint it okay i'll give you an example right now if we have the ultra premium collection if that's reprinted some people are gonna love it and the people that have it right now are gonna hate it because they had it think it's gonna be ultra rare no one else is be able to get this and then all of a sudden they're gonna reprint it and now it's like oh the value of it goes down right 
And Pokemon's the only one that really does it. I know Magic does it at times, but Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't really do that at all. Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't reprint sets. They reprint cards. So they'll have the same version of a card and they'll put it in a different set, right? Or they'll have a collector's tin that comes out every year. Recently, the 2022 tin came out. Inside that, it has the best cards from that year from different sets, okay? That's how Yu-Gi-Oh does it. They bring those cards and sometimes they change the rarity of the card, right? So it'll be ultra rare or collector's rare, starlight. Like they'll bring different versions of the same card, but they're reprinting different cards. Essentially, that's what they're doing, right? But they don't reprint the whole set. So when you think it's done, the, the run's over, they come back. And I think that does take a huge hit on collectibles. It's kind of hard to collect modern Pokemon. It's because of that reason that any of those are up for Pokemon and be like, you know what? I could reprint this set today and that's it. We're going to assume they're not going to be able to reprint base set or anything, right? Those vintage cards are, you don't have to worry about those reprints. But when it comes to modern stuff, anything's up for grabs. Nothing's stopping them. Yeah, I know that they reprinted Ultra Prism, I think like two or three years after it came out. And it just completely came out of nowhere. They didn't hype it up. They didn't do anything. They just said, hey, distributors, we've got this. And they released it. I know, not really a reprint, but I know that the gold Reshiram Charizard that was in the Walmart box, Mm -hmm. that came out of nowhere. I know that there were people who were buying the Japanese version because they're like, this didn't come to America. And then out of nowhere, they put it in a box when the Sun and Moon era was over, even though it was a Sun and Moon card. Now, in 10 years from now, I'm sure everyone's going to wish that they reprinted more. But for right now, I think that the amount that's coming out is good for collectors it might lower the value which i think is fine but the availability of the cards is really important because when we had in 2020 2021 where people couldn't even get the cards and people saying they've went to walmarts and targets and they were all out and there was nothing i mean that was really bad and everyone complained now we have an abundance of product which is great and people are able to get their hands on it so if you really like a set you could possibly complete most of it by opening packs who are they reprinted it for? Just for people, oh, I didn't collect that set. Let me give it another chance to collect it. Or are they looking at the prices? Oh, the prices are insane on eBay or TCG Player. We want to bring those prices down. So let's reprint that set. I'm not sure. I think they're trying to gauge what people want. I have no idea how they determine that. I would guess it would be just based on demand. And they've seen Evolving Skies as completely insanely popular of course that was going to get a reprint i don't know if anyone thought that was never going to get a reprint vivid voltage got reprints and people were saying that never was going to get a reprint evolutions was printed for years and no one cared and then all of a sudden everybody wanted it i don't know what makes them determine it i think in japan i remember hearing somewhere that they actually do it based on demand and then when the demand starts waning then they move on this is what i want to say stop listening to people listen to us right now in this podcast. The only reason why you're going to listen to us is I'm going to tell you stop listening to people. <laughs> when people say, oh, they're not going to reprint this set. They don't know what they're talking about. There's been so many times where people say, oh, it's impossible. They're not going to release this set. And it comes out. They hype up a set. They hype up a card. And then all of a sudden, it's reprinted again. So <laughs> that's why in modern Pokemon, modern TCG in general, Do not think that there's not a possibility they're going to reprint it. So if you think you're going to get rich from any of this stuff, you're probably not going to, more than likely, unless it's vintage product, okay? 
Other than that, you're not going to get rich off this. Yeah, plus be careful with people telling you that they're not going to reprint stuff because you don't know how much they have. And they could be trying to sell off their stuff before they know the inevitable reprint is coming. So just be careful. Like, why would Pokemon not reprint Evolving Skies? And now, I remember, what was it, Hector, like, two months ago, three months ago, people were like, man, Evolving Skies, I wish I bought more. Now it's like, every Facebook page is just flooded with Evolving Skies. The Umbreon card is as popular as ever, but I have a feeling that's going to go down eventually. I don't think it's going to stay at that price. Because new cards are going to come out, people are going to want new things. It's going to be like the SV Charizard from Hidden Fates. Came out super popular. Everyone wanted it. People were spending over $1,000 for it. It tanked down for a while. And then it slowly went back up. So it's around like 800 But reprints are a thing. Pokemon knows about reprints. And they will not hesitate to use them if they know they can make money off them. If you're worried about reprints and how it's going to affect collectibles, it's going to affect them. And you have to keep that in mind. That if you're thinking that you're going to get a set that's going to be really, really rare, chances are it's not going to. The only ones that will be harder for Pokemon to reprint are things like the Ultra Premium Collection, right? It's something that has like a metal card. Now, they got the other one that everyone's hyping up, which is the Charizard Ultra Premium Collection, right? You got to be very careful with that one. The reason why you got to be careful because there's nothing too rare inside of it. Yes, they have these three Charizard cards that are coming out, these promos, but they're regular cardboard. They could print them out nonstop. It's not like it has metal cards inside of it that's going to be hard for them to continuously make those. So th that's where you have to think about this. Well, how rare is it going to be? Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, but if you're worried about reprints, don't buy anything not vintage because modern just can be reprinted without warning. There's rumors all the time. You'll drive yourself crazy if you try to follow the rumors. So just try to be as diligent as you can with your research when buying cards. The final topic we'll be talking about today is going to be sections of games that you absolutely hate. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your timed missions, your stealth missions, and your underwater missions. I know as I'm saying the sector, I'm sure you've got 20 or 30 examples in your head. So let me hear them. Which ones do you hate? Man, there's so many of them I hate. I don't like time missions. I don't like stealth missions, and I don't like underwater missions. Now, here's the thing. Stealth missions, I don't mind. The fact that I'm up here saying that I don't like stealth missions, I'll be lying because my favorite game of all time, which I've said plenty of times, is Metal Gear Solid, right? So obviously I have to like stealth games. What I don't like are stealth games that force you to complete a mission stealth. Meaning that if someone spots you, mission failed automatically. Okay, I hate that. For Metal Gear Solid, there's a lot of portions of the game where even if they spot you, they're all going to charge after you. The guards, everyone's going to go after you. Those are good because you get penalized for not being in stealth. However, the game isn't over yet. You have a chance to recover. If you're good enough to shoot, do whatever you have to do, hide, whatever the case may be. If you're good enough, you can survive. It lets the game go forward. But there's times where you get spotted and you're done. Now, you mentioned this off the podcast, Rich. Which Metal Gear Solid did you get upset with? Oh, Metal Gear Solid 4. Like halfway through, they drop you in a stealth mission. And it's like a 20-minute sequence. If you're spotted once, 
you have to restart the whole thing. It is super frustrating. Like you said, Metal Gear Solid is the stealth game. But when you're failed a mission, when you get caught, it's just memorizing where you can and can't go at that point. There's really no more to it. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I like that stuff. But I like to have a choice because there's times, there's so many times I went back to Metal Gear Solid. Ground Zeroes, right? That I played multiple times. And every single time I try to find a certain path that I could complete the whole game without being seen. Okay. I try to do the perfect run and sprint and drop down, and crawl underneath a car or do certain things on my own. But that's a choice that I had. Right. I like when they give you a choice because if you're spotted, you could continue the game. And that's to me is like the worst is when it just says, okay, you know what? You're spotted. Mission failed. Start over again. Like about a year ago, I played through Red Faction 1 again because I don't think I ever beat it when I was a kid. There was one mission where you have to go undercover. There was all these weird cameras that could spot you. And if you walked the wrong way and if you walked in this path, and it just drove me nuts. And I'm like, I just want to get past this so I can continue the game. I eventually did beat it. I think I looked up a guide on YouTube just because there were so many weird little things that was just so frustrating. Okay, so is stealth the one that you found most frustrating? Or is there anything with time missions underwater? Which one did you find the most frustrating? Believe it or not, I think like a combination. Like I remember when I was a kid, I hated the Sonic underwater levels. Oh yeah, do you got the air bubble and stuff the like air that? Air bubbles, oh man. And like they had the music playing faster and faster and you're looking for an air bubble and you're like, wait, there was one like backwards. So you start going backwards and then you can't find it. Yeah, I'd say underwater levels are probably the worst because you're playing an unfamiliar game mechanic, an unfamiliar game physics, and you're floaty and you can't really move well. So I'd probably say underwater levels. What do you think? When you're talking about Sonic, you don't forget that you're in and out of water just made it horrible. But yeah, there's some underwater games that are just horrible as well. To me, I right away think of the NES game with Turtles. Oh, classic, yeah. yeah, that right there, it's also a combination of timed, right? Because you have to not only travel underwater, you're also timed. And you can't touch the walls or touch anything and you get electrocuted. There's so many things you have to do in that level. That's like the most stressful and annoying level ever. <laughs> in like any game, I would think that is the most stressful one. And it's so complex. And when you beat it, you actually feel like you achieved something. When you said turtles, I knew exactly what level you're talking about. There's that one section where you're going up and to the left, and you have like two pixels to move through. It's so frustrating, man. I don't know why developers put these in games. Maybe they're trying to be, I don't know, trying to like give you a little bit of everything. I know Crash Bandicoot, I was trying to get every single achievement in the trilogy that just got re released. And one of the achievements was get all the timed ones. And I just, abandoned ship right there i'm like there's no way i'm gonna put myself through this to try to get some achievements with crash bandicoot when you're running towards the camera everything you're moving and jumping over things like that's stressful right there like that is something right there that made it extremely hard i got two other games i could think of right now and they're both annoying in the same exact way too and the one is donkey kong country right when you're like on the tracks on the carts oh so yeah those carts is very stressful because your time they're going across. And the second game I compare it to be the same is Battletoads, right? For Battletoads, you're on those, those, um, what do you call them? Not bikes, but, uh, where are they? 
Oh, like jet skis? Yeah, like those skis. And you're on those, and you have to memorize everything, and the wall, like, it's moving. Everything's moving such in a fast pace, and you have to do that. Those are very similar in a way, because you're feeling rushed, and you have to memorize to jump on a track, to go left or right, and, and do all this memorization. Those are very stressful in the game. I know a lot of people that cannot beat that, and they just don't go past that part in the game. It just makes well, someone stop. Yeah, that's the problem, is when they're so difficult that they make people stop i know there's been like four or five games that i've played that you need to run from this point to this point in 20 seconds right and you do it perfectly and you did it in 19 seconds and i'm like did they really just give me a second of error to make to get this i had to like pretty much memorize it and speed run it to get it perfect i don't like that in games but i think all these games though are just the type of games that you need to take a second break just to clear your mind and then you go back at it and then that's when you do better. That's what comes down to all of those levels, right? If you clear your mind and then you go back, you usually do better than you trying to sit there over and over again, trying to figure out and trying to do it. Because the next thing you know, like you're doing perfect and all of a sudden you slip up for one split second and then you lose. Yeah, a lot of times you get very tilted. And isn't that kind of funny? Like how many times have you put a game down for a month and came back and beat it on the first try? Yeah, it's happened plenty of times. That's why I think Metal Gear is so popular, because if you do get caught, your game's not over, and you can continue. But with other stealth games that just end it right there, it turns a lot of people away. Yeah, games like that are annoying. I know this is not what we mention here, but I guess if you're talking about being annoying and something that's not good in the game, aside from that, I would also add to this list games that you have to escort someone out and then they die. And because of that, the mission ended there. Oh, so yeah. like those, I feel like should be on this list because that's another thing that games do. And it's always like an escort mission. You're trying to get this person and save them. And next thing you know, they get shot or they die. And that's it. I hate those games. So I hate when that happens because like I'm doing what it takes to uh, dodge away from bullets and stuff. And of course, the computer AI just run around in the safe spot. They get shot and they die. So. Yeah, that's super frustrating when you have to worry about yourself and then worry about another character that yeah. maybe is behind you and you're like trying to run away. You know what's a good one for time, though, for a mission that you're actually timed? It's not tough, but it definitely added to suspense of the game. The end of Resident Evil. Okay, so end of Resident Evil, everything's timed. You got to escape and get out of there. And you're going back and there's all these people like zombies stuff coming out. That's one that actually felt very stressful although i feel like that one was a little more fair with the time well what about pikmin one pikmin one the entire game is timed you're in like a day cycle and you have to do everything in 30 days i think there's 30 pieces that you need to get for your ship and there's 30 days and depending on how many pieces you get you can get one a day or you can get like less than one so i think that's interesting because i didn't totally hate pikmin but the whole game was timed so maybe it's just how they either allocate the time or how much pressure you feel like you're under with the time. If you feel like every millisecond counts and you're super stressed, it's not fun. But if you're just given like a broad amount of time to do something and whatever you get done in that time you do, I think that's a lot better. So what about, uh, since you're a Metal Gear fan, is there a timed boss that you have to beat a boss in a certain amount of time? Liquid? You're on Metal Gear and Metal Gear is about to launch and they're about to set off nuclear warheads. And then, like, you're timed. Is that when you're escaping and you're on the back of the Jeep 
and you have to shoot them and it's timed everything's time like the whole thing the whole fight sequence like you're fighting liquid and everything you have a certain amount of time there's like literally on the top right it's like flashing like warning and it's going down like and the, the timer's going down like yes. it's still epic yes yeah but i can actually like lose that can you yeah, you can you can. I think my first time doing it, I completely lost. I don't know what I was doing, and I kept losing. It's funny because like you, you had plenty of time. Like I remember when I went back to, it, I was like, wow, like it's way more time that I was thinking, and I was like rushing everything, and I had plenty of time. Okay, yeah, it's coming back. See, that's what's interesting is like the way he did that. I didn't feel pressure. I was under a time restraint, but that part I didn't feel. I was gonna run out of time. Spoiler you kicked off liquid from metal gear and it fell to his death supposedly you find out he didn't die right and he comes back and that's where you're talking about the jeep sequence and that's also a timer you're trying to escape merrill's the one that's driving or depending on i guess it depends on the scene right if you save merrill or not yeah but anyway during that time period there's another clock that's counting down and that's when you feel a little more rush i feel like it's during the jeep scene rather than like the fight scene yes now i agree now i see what you're saying and i i think that's pretty much it though for all i think we covered all of them with time and stuff but i don't know out of all of them though which one do you think is the worst for a game worst for a game probably the underwater running out of breath and then trying to find air i would say as long as the timed missions are done well and give you ample time to do it and the stealth games don't insta game over the underwater trying to find air bubbles and sonic with air bubbles i think that's the worst what about you no i don't think that's that bad i mean it is annoying i just think the stealth mission where it just automatically stops you can literally get to the last point and it stops because like you, you make it so far you're being so careful right you're wasting all this time and crawling and all this other stuff and you have to start over again it, it takes a lot longer for a stealth game because you're literally taking your time to get to a certain point and if you have to keep doing that over and over again, you may be doing 15, 20 minutes until you get to finish that level. And if you're at 18 minutes in and you're like, oh, no, you got to start over again. So, yes, like, do you get better because you keep practicing? Yes, you do. But at the same time, it's still annoying. It just feels like it's not necessary, right? You could still penalize a person if they're seen by making them have to fight or do something. The whole game, you're teaching me that it's okay to be seen at times. And then all of a sudden, this one area, you can't be seen at all. It's like, well, you let me do it the whole game. You trained me a certain way. And now that we're at this part of the game, you can't change the rules. That's just the way I feel about it. Yeah, it probably could have been thrown into a cutscene or something where you're just sneaking around. Didn't need to be an actual sequence. I think that is going to be the end. We're running out of time. These podcasts, they go so fast. We're just talking about everything we love about collecting and everything that comes along with it. But if you haven't already, go to the website, collectahobby.com, sign up, tell us what you think of the podcast, post your collection, all your amazing games and your amazing cards. I'd love to see them interact with us. And that's pretty much it. Hector, you've got anything else you want to say? Yeah, just uh, hit us up in the forums. So after this podcast, we'll definitely make sure to post this podcast episode in the forum. And you could go ahead and tell us if you have anything else you want to add to this list. Let us know in the comments. And that's pretty much it. Perfect. Awesome. So we're going to sign off. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. See you guys. 
You've been listening to the Collect a Hobby podcast. Hector and Rich have been collecting video games as well as trading card games for years. And they're up to date on everything that has to do with the hobby. For everything you can imagine and need, hit the website at collectahobby.com. You'll find the blog, show and tell, the vault, the forums, and so much more. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time on the Collect a Hobby Podcast.